diving into a Bible study, and I am very uh, much looking forward to this tonight. As uh, it's been a little while since we've had a Wednesday night Bible study of this fashion, uh, and you see that the title that is there on your handout, and uh, and uh, this is a topic that uh, I believe Scripture has a lot to say about, and uh, I found that out as I was as I was doing my studies, and um, and it's been a while since I've put a paper together, a handout like this. It's been a little while since I've done that. And as I was doing uh, all my studies and preparing for my message tonight, uh, it seemed like it just kept going and kept going and kept going, and I could have put a whole lot more down here, and I have about half of what I wanted to put. And so we're just going to see where the Lord leads us tonight, uh, but we have somewhat of a uh, road map here in our handouts. So uh, let's open up. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. Uh, our subject tonight is heaven and hell, which is a study on eternal destinations. We all know that there is, uh, there is an, etern- an eternity that awaits us. That we were all born into this world and we were given a soul that from the very beginning, Jesus, or that uh, from the very beginning, uh, Adam and Eve were created, or that Adam rather was created, and God breathed the breath of life into him and he became a living soul. And that soul has an eternal destination, it has an eternal life. It was born, it was created to live here on earth, but it will not remain here on earth as there is an eternity uh, eternity waiting for it. And we're going to dive into that tonight, those eternal destinations. So in the book of Revelation chapter 21, this is speaking of that, uh, that eternity. It says, At, I saw a new heaven and I saw a new earth for the first heaven. And the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. In other words, it didn't look the same. That earth, it looked different. It was changed. It had, didn't have the same uh, form that it has today. It, uh, the earth itself looked different. And John, the revelator, the one who God is giving all of this vision to, he said, I saw that holy city, that new Jerusalem, that was coming down from God out of heaven. And it was prepared as a bride that was adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and he shall be their God. And God shall wipe away. Right? God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death. Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Come on, could we just put our hands together for that? I'm looking forward to that day when there will be no more tears, when there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. I'm looking forward to that day. Amen. And it's coming soon. But he continues on. It says that he that sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, write, for these words are true and they are faithful. He continues in verse 6. He said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. 
I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. So he's saying, right now, I have life and death set before you. The fountain of life, or the fountain of, yeah, of life is there, and it is free for you. If you want to drink from that fountain, it is free right now. But there will come a day, he says, where that fountain will dry up, where that fountain, uh, where you cannot drink from it again anymore. And there will be a day when, just as with Noah and the, the, the ark was closed, the door of the ark was closed, there came a day when, uh, when there, that destination uh, was set. The same will be true for every one of us. That there will come a day when the destination will be set. And he says, he continues in verse 7, He that overcometh shall inherit all things. This is a great promise. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, the idolaters, all the liars, they shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And so we see here these two divergent destinations. The one is for he that overcometh, that he shall inherit all things. He that shall be in the new Jerusalem, he that shall be in heavenly places with God. And you have the other, the one who is unbelieving, is abominable, the murderer, the whoremonger, the sorcerer, the one who would, who would indulge in all the works of the flesh. He shall have his part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. And so these are eternal destinations. And so I do want to make this clear that these are destinations. These are not merely uh, states of mind. These are not merely allegorical terms. Uh, many people today would like to limit them to just a state of mind. Or uh, we would like to limit what, what Scripture has to say about heaven and about hell to being uh, just a, a, a spiritual state. Or just something that, you know, it. Uh, it's it's not really a, a you know a place that you would go to, but scripture. If you uh, really you don't even have to study it deeply. If you just read scripture plainly, it will make it clear that that scripture or that heaven and that hell are both physical places. That they are places that people will be. They are destinations. They are a real place. It's not just something of the mind. It's not just a torment that will happen in the mind or an allegory or a, um, a, a state in which, um, in which a soul may, may dwell. But no, these are places. There, there was a, a popular book that was written. It was, um, in fact, this was a, a pastor of a mega church uh, several years ago. Uh, his name is Rob Bell, and uh, he pastored a church in Bar- Mars Hill, and uh, he wrote this book, and this is a quote. This is actually the very opening statement from his book, and he says that a staggering number of people he- have been taught that a select few Christians will spend forever in a peaceful, joyous place called heaven, while the rest of humanity spends forever in torment and punishment in hell with no chance for anything better. He says, this is misguided and it's toxic. It's ultimately 
subverts the contagious spread of Jesus's message of love, peace, forgiveness and joy that our world desperately needs to hear. He goes on to dispel. Tries to dispel this idea of hell. He ended up on Time Magazine after writing this book, uh, the cover of Time Magazine, as uh, saying that there is, there is no hell. I don't remember exactly what the title was, but I remember seeing that cover on Time Magazine that this megachurch pastor writing this book about a hell that is non-existent, a hell that he says, uh, if, you, if you look at Scripture, it, uh, he, he says, uh, really, that hell is, uh, all these mentions of hell are not a real place that people would go to. Uh, but uh, there was, of course, many reactions against this. There were other books that were written uh, against what Rob Bell was stating here. But here's what I would say is that uh, this, this idea that Rob Bell put forth about a non-existent hell or a, a hell that is not real, that's is a sentiment here today in our culture, in our worlds, both in the non-Christian and in the Christian realm. And many, uh, many who would call themselves Christian, they, it's hard for them to grapple with the fact of hell. A hell is real. And that hell is a destination where people will go, where there will be souls that will spend an eternity in a place called hell. And it is something that people today try to grasp this. Or they, they, they struggle to grasp a loving God. Allowing people to go to hell. And, and we'll get to this here in a little bit. Um, maybe towards the end. Uh, about why God would allow. Why a loving God would allow people to go to hell. But this is something that people struggle with. It's something that. People wrestle with in their mind about the fact that there is a destination that is hell. But just as real as hell is, they, you know, they, they would like to imagine and they like to think about heaven. And they would grasp that idea, this idea that heaven is real. Although even that has come under fire, both outside and inside the Christian ranks, that there are those that they would teach that even heaven is not a real place. That even heaven is just a state of mind. That even heaven is something that, uh, that is, is, is more so talking about what we are living in today. That is heaven to earth. That it's wherever God's presence is at is where heaven is. But scripture from Genesis to Revelation, it speaks of heaven being the headquarters of God or the very place. It is a actual place where God dwells. Now, God is an omnipresent spirit. God is everywhere. But as we see, especially in the Old Testament, the Jews of that uh, of that time, they they had a very deep understanding an understanding of God, his dwelling place in heaven. That's where the throne of God was at. That was the place where God was at. Now, heaven um, heaven, if we, I don't, I don't have this in the notes, but let's, let's just go there a little bit. Uh, I, I want to talk about heaven. There, there's, there's, uh, Peter, um, talks about the time when he was caught up to the third heaven. He was caught up 
to the third heaven. John also writes about how he, in, uh, in a time, he was called up to the third heaven. And it would suffice, you know, it would, it would make sense if there's a third heaven, there's a first heaven and a second heaven, right? And so many times you see these references to heaven and, and which heaven are they talking about? Are they talk, are they talking about the first heaven, the second heaven, or the third heaven? Which, which heaven are we referencing? Which heaven are we talking about? And we, you, you can see this, that, that the first heaven, which is mentioned, many, many references to heaven in the Bible are referencing either the first heaven or the second heaven. And so, as I said, this isn't in your notes. You may just want to jot this down. But when you see um, in, in Genesis chapter, uh, first, first couple of chapters of Genesis, where you have creation taking place, the first heaven is mentioned. It says that God made the heavens and the earth. It was that form and it was that, that void. And then it talks about the firmament that was created. That firmament was the atmosphere that God created. It was as we look up into the and if you, not right now. If you didn't, you know, if you look up right now, you see the ceiling. You go outside and you look up and you see the heavens. Right? It's daytime. It's it's blue or it's you see the clouds that are up there. Those are the heavens, and that is the first heaven. When you see in Scripture talking about the heavens, many times it's it's simply referring to the place that you look up. It's our atmosphere. It's the heavens. Uh, where the, where the clouds are at. It's the place where, where the birds are flying. It's the, it's the atmosphere where, uh, those are the first heavens. The second heaven is anything beyond that. It's space. It's anything within our universe that, uh, that is existent that, uh, you could say at, during the day you look up and you see the first heaven. At night you look up and you see the second heaven. It's where the stars are at. It's the darkness. It's the void. It's that place uh, that we might refer to as space. Those are the second heavens. But the third heaven is something that is beyond our universe. It is a place. Again, it is a physical place. But it is that uh, place where God dwells. And it's the place that you can only see through faith. You can't see this by looking up into, you know, during the day or looking up into the skies at night. You can only see this through faith. And you have those, those men of God who talk about going into that third heaven, play, having a, an experience that is in that place where God's throne room is at, where his, um, where, where we'll see, uh, scripture talking about that eventually coming down and, uh, being a new heaven and a new earth that would come down and it would, uh, what we just read in our opening text, it says it came down as a bride adorned for her husband. And it came into the atmosphere of the first heaven and it sat there upon that new earth. And that was the place where uh, God's people would dwell for eternity. And so eternity, let's uh, let's look at that that aspect of this. We're talking about eternal destinations. And so we have heaven and hell. These are real places, but they are also et- destinations that are eternal. And so let's look at e- e- this idea of eternity. Uh, because everyone is going to, be going to spend eternity somewhere. In one of two places, they will spend eternity. According to Scripture, every human, let me reiterate that, every human will live forever. Every human. 
is going to spend somewhere for eternity. Either in heaven with the Lord or in hell with the devil. Now we could, I could have had a, a list much longer than just these four scriptures, but let's go to these four. Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, it speaks about this eternal destination. It says, Matthew 25, 46, that these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. We see here two references to the eternal. The one to an everlasting punishment. Everlasting. It doesn't end. Eternity. Kind of. It's, it's, it's hard to fathom eternity. It's hard to, it's hard to fathom this, this idea of, of eternity. But, but scripture. Uh, what we see it here. That, that it says it's an everlasting punishment. And the righteous get to go into life eternal. It has no end. Life eternal. There's no ending to it. Let's go to First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. This is a great promise to us. That we which are alive and that remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. We shall always be with him. When we make it up into heaven, there's going to be a day that what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus face to face, we're going to spend eternity with him there in heaven. Eternity. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 9, not quite such a positive outlook on eternity, but it is eternity nonetheless. It says, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. You've been separated from the presence of the Lord. You've been separated from the glory of His power. You've been separated from God. This is, this is a separation from the one who could have saved you. A separation from the one who He gave you every opportunity to come unto Him. It's a separation from God. But you, there is an everlasting destruction. An everlasting destruction. Revelation chapter 21 Verse 4, again, we're seeing the hope of an eternal life with God in eternal heaven. It says that God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. No more. You see this? No more. No more pain. No more tears. No more sorrow. No, no more death. No more death. This is eternal. There will be no more dying up in heaven. Eternity is what awaits us. Eternity is what awaits us. Now, we ought to be encouraged by an eternal heaven, an eternal uh, situation where we can be with Christ forever, where I can spend eternity with Him. But just as much as eternity, eternity in heaven is real, eternity and eternal death is also real. And it's what scripture uh, would teach us. And so I do want to uh, dive into this, this place, which is the destiny of the lost. The destiny of the lost. There are in scripture a, a, um, a few different terms 
that get translated, if you, if you use the King James Version, especially King James Version of the Bible, uh, you'll see uh, four different terms, rather, uh, I'm sorry, five, five different terms that are all translated into this one word, which is hell. And these, I was right, it was four. I almost correct myself, but the first one here is hell. And I, I wanted to, to define that because where we get the word hell, uh, that itself is not a Hebrew word or a Greek word. Uh, but the word hell comes to us. It was an old English word uh, during the times so of around 400 years ago when the King James Version of the Bible was written. This word was helan, H-E-L-A-N. And it was a word which meant to hide or to cover. It was uh, very similar to the words which you would see, which we will get into. These words, uh, shol, uh, which is the Hebrew word. Uh, this word, Gehenna, or um, of Hades. Uh, these, these words, especially Hades, uh, that, that word and shol uh, are very close, closely related to this old English word, helan, which uh, we would now say is hell. We see this word, hell, appear 52 different times in the King James Version of the Bible. And it's used oftentimes to translate the Hebrew words, Shoal, and three Greek words, Gehenna, Hades, and Tartarus. And so I want to I just look at those four different words which are all translated into this word hell. This first word is this Hebrew, as you know, the Old Testament, written in Hebrew. And uh, we see often this word uh, come up. And it is a Hebrew word, uh, this word shoal, S-E-H-E-O-L, shoal, uh, which means a deep pit under the earth. That's what that, that word uh, meant very literally, but figuratively it could mean the realm of the deep. Not necessarily that it was uh, understood to be something that was under the earth, but rather it was something was the realm of the deep. It was the unseen place. It was the place where it was hidden. It was the place where people would go and they would spend, um, you know, it was, it was the, uh, it was the place of the afterlife was, was this shoal. And usually when shoal is translated into hell in the King James Version, it does, it doesn't necessarily refer to a place of eternal punishment. It simply means this is the place where both good and evil people continue to exist after death. So in the Old Testament, the understanding that they had of the afterlife, the understanding that they had of Sheol, hell, was a place where both good and evil people would go and they would spend their life. This is where they would exist after their death. Now, I want to uh, I want to back up just a minute because it's really important for us to understand that the only place for us to learn about the destiny of the lost is in the Bible. Human science knows nothing beyond death. Human experience is simply limited to life and it doesn't reach beyond the grave. If we on earth are ever to know what is beyond this life, then we have to learn it from the only one who 
actually knows, which is God. God is the only one who knows what's beyond this life. Heaven and hell, rewards and retributions, happiness and sorrow, all of these are, are matters that are beyond the grave. They're beyond our human experience. And God is the only one who, is, who has valid authority to teach us about this. And, and we see it in, in the Word of God. That is the only place that we can go. And I find it very interesting that we have this, um, this understanding throughout the Old Testament of, of Sheol, this, this place where both the, the good and the evil people continue to exist in this, this place of Sheol, this place of hell. And uh, it's, it's more so understood as a place of rest. But what I find it, it interesting is that it's not really until Jesus comes onto the scene that we get a much fuller understanding of what is beyond the grave. When Jesus comes onto the scene, when Jesus begins to teach, he does not shy away from these eternal destinations. Jesus speaks about them often. He speaks very clearly. I, I hear, you know, people sometimes, you know, they say, they say that, you know, I, I, I don't want, you know, teaching the church. I, I just want Jesus. I just want love. I, you know, Jesus, he, Jesus is love. Jesus teaches love. Well, Jesus is actually uh, many times uh, very clear about the hellfire brimstone message as well. And not that, not that this is about trying to, to preach and scare somebody out of hell. I wanna, I want to, I want somebody to understand that God loves us enough that hell is not really ever even designed for us to go to. That's, that wasn't, that wasn't the reason for hell from the beginning. The reason that hell was ever created was to be a resting place for the angels and those that rebelled against God out of heaven. And that's why the, that's why we can sing a song that the angels cannot sing. Anybody ever heard that, that phrase? You can sing a song that the angels can't sing? What is that song? Anybody know? Yeah. I hear it over here. It's the song of salvation. It's the song of redemption. The angels can't sing that song. Those angels, they are already sentenced from the very time that they rebelled against God. They, they were already sentenced. They have no hope of salvation. But we have a song that the angels can't sing because we have an opportunity to be redeemed. We have an opportunity to be saved. So as long as we allow God to redeem us and save us, then we have that song that we can sing that is a song that I'm sure we'll be singing on the streets of gold one day up in heaven. Amen. Talking about Jesus who saved me. So we have this, this understanding of, of Shoal, this understanding of, of, of a resting place. Again, we, uh, you can go back to creation. And if you go back to creation, how many days were there of creation? How many days? There were six, right? And then the seventh was... The day of rest, right? So you had six days of creation. The seventh was a day of rest. It was a place of rest where God was at. It's a place of rest. Now, what is 
What was Shoal? What was this place? It was a place of rest. What do we speak of many times when we, when we talk of heaven? You know, we, we talk about the excitement and all of that. But it's a, it's a place of rest. It's a place where there is no more pain. There is no more sorrow. There is no more, none, none of that. It's, it's a place of rest. It's a place where we come into the eternal rest with God. And that's, it, it's, so from the very beginning, we see this, this rest that God enters into. And he invites us into that place of rest with him. That's what he's doing. He's inviting us into that place of rest. That's what he, he his whole desire and, and the whole uh, redemption of mankind is to redeem us so that we can enter into that place of rest in which he is at, which he is at from that seventh day. That he is inviting us into that place of rest. So, um, better get back to, uh, get back to this. So Jesus begins to talk about heaven and hell. He does not shy away from, from this, this, uh, this destination, which is hell. And so we see in the New Testament then these three different terms that become uh, translated into, in the King James Version at least, uh, translated into hell. And the first uh, Greek word that you may see is this word Hades. So Hades was a Greek word that meant not to see. It's, uh, it's actually, it's a word um, that, that literally it means not to see, but it was understood as being the unseen world. And having basically the same definition of that word, that Hebrew word shoal, it was basically that, that equivalent to what they understood in the Old Testament of that place of rest, the unseen world, the place where, where people, they would go after death, and that's, that's where they would spend, um, that's where they would be in resting in a place of rest. Uh, it was even, even we see, I don't have this scripture in front of me right now. Um, let's see, it's in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 27 and verse 31, uh, these scriptures, they are, they are quoting or they're referencing an Old Testament scripture which used the word shoal. And in the New Testament, in the book of Acts chapter 2, it, trans, or it uses the word Hades here. And so we see that equivalent. It's, it's very similar to it. You see this word, Hades, it's translated as hell 11 times in the Bible. We see nine different times uh, that this is used as a general reference to the dead or the, the, the place of death. You see, I have the scriptures there. I'm not going to go to them tonight. But you have two other times where this is used as a specific reference to the departed wicked. So you have a little bit of distinction where uh, you have at times, this is specifically, or this is used more generally uh, as the place of the dead and the death. And you have other times when it's used specifically to reference the departed wicked. This is used to translate the Hebrew word shoal and three Greek words, Gehenna, Hades, and Tartarus. Um, you know what, I think that was a point that was taken from my last one. Um, that was that word hell. But we have, we have this, this word Hades. Uh, another word, the second word is Gehenna. This is another Greek word that really is a transliteration of the Hebrew words Ge, G-E, and Hinnom. Gehenna is, uh, is the Hebrew words or the Hebrew phrase for the valley of Hinnom. The Valley of Hinnom. Now, if you understand just a little bit of, uh, of context of what the Valley of Hinnom was all about. In the Old Testament, during the, the time of Israel, 
the valley of Hinnom was this valley that was just outside, just uh, just beyond uh, the place of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. And there was a time in Israel's history when they were offering child sacrifices to this god of Molech, this false god Molech. And they would they would bring children there. They would they would sacrifice them them there on these altars. Uh, they would throw them into the flames of the altar. Uh, altars that were there in uh, as a sacrifice to their god Molech, and this became something that you, you have King Josiah comes in and King Josiah he tears down all these altars he, he makes a decree we'll never do this again and and, and from that day that that altars were destroyed and and what they ended up making was uh, they, they turned that valley into a dump heap turned it into a place where there was just, that's where they would throw the trash and for sanitary reasons they they lit that on fire and it was a valley that really especially during the time of Jesus it was a continuous fire that was burning that's where they would throw the throw their trash they would take it out to the valley of Hinnom and there was a continuous fire that was burning there and so uh that, that word Gehenna or the valley of Hinnom became synonymous with a place of or became synonymous with something abominable something terrible Something that is so against God. Something that is so uh, contrary to God. It was also understood as this place of a burning trash heap. It was this. And this is where we get people like Rob Bell. Who he, he tries to say, well all of this, all these references to hell. They're, they're, they're just talking about uh, this, this trash heap. They're just talking about... You know, just, just something of that day using allegories of, of, you know, if you, if you, uh, if you don't love God and, you know, you're basically going to be separated from God. It's going to be like, you know, that, that trash heap, uh, which you can see so many references if, in scripture, they make no sense if the only thing that they are referring to was the trash heap that was outside of Jerusalem. That if they were just referring to that trash heap, then, uh, then how could that be a place of eternal life? Or not eternal life, but eternal death. How could that be a place where uh, it would be the, uh, the place where souls would go back to? Uh, we see this, uh, but, but this understanding of Gehenna. Uh, the next word uh, that is, is used and translated into this word hell is Tartarus. It's only used one time uh, in Scripture. It's in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, in this, it is actually referenced as a place of the uh, where, where the, the angels, the fallen angels, would go to. In Second Peter two four, uh, but this Tartarus was the Roman and Greek equivalent of that same concept of Gehenna, that place that was abominable, that place that was a burning lake of fire. It was uh, written to more of a, a Greek audience uh, or Gentile audience, and so they used a, a more uh, Gentile word rather than the Hebrew word uh, to understand this concept. But this place, hell, and I don't, I don't mean to uh, to have us, us focus so much on the, on hell, but Scripture focuses a whole lot on it, and so I do want to uh, have an understanding of hell that it is a place of torment. Hell is a place of torment. We have these scriptures, and, and I'll try to just work my way through these quickly. In Matthew chapter 11, we'll begin there. It says, That thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. 
And I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Okay? Uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 30, and then verse 41. It says, Cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 41 and then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And so you see here this, this understanding that it, it was prepared for the devil and his angels, but we have those who, um, those who would reject God being cast into that same everlasting fire, uh, this, this place of torment. In Luke chapter 16, verse 28, it says, For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. This is, again, a parable here uh, of, of the man who was um, cast into hell. He's begging and pleading that his, his brothers would not go to that same place where he is at, um, that place of torment. Mark chapter 9, verse 44. This is where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. This is a, uh, a reference to a scripture that was in Isaiah, uh, where the worm dieth not. It's the place uh, of, of everlasting torment. It's a place that uh, it continues on and on. It's in Jude chapter 1, verse 13, uh, where it says, Raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Blackness of darkness Forever. Now, these seem contrary, the, the understanding of, of a place that is an eternal fire, an eternal flame, and also blackness of darkness forever. Those seem contrary to one another. And, and what I would say is that the concepts that are, are here are, are told to us in human understanding of a human form of understanding what torment is, what kind of torment this is going to be like. And, uh, all I can say is I believe God's word to be true. And if it says that there will be both flames that will be all consuming and the blackness of darkness forever, that, that they, both of these will exist simultaneously in that place of torment. In Revelation chapter 9 verse 2, it says that he opened the bottomless pit and there arose a smoke out of the pit and there's a smoke of the great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of that pit. You see this now is talking about, um, you know, this, this place of, of hell where it's, it's, it's a place that is not desirable, uh, for anybody to be. Revelation 14, 11. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. They cannot find peace. They cannot find rest. We're talking about the rest of God. On the seventh day, God rested, and God is inviting us into His rest. But in hell, it says you can't find no rest. Neither day nor night, there is no rest. There's the turmoil. There's the, the thoughts that are going in through your mind continuously. These, these thoughts of, you know, what, what you could have done, how you could have done this and, and that. And, and understanding, you know, you have, you have this, you know, you're able to remember your past. You're able to remember all of that. You have no rest. The ones who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. This last scripture Revelation 21, verse 8. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, the idolaters, all the liars, they shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. That's the second death. Now, I want to um, get into this. 
I want to get into this, this next point, which is that hell will be cast into the lake of fire. And uh, got to back up just one minute. Sorry. As I said, I, I couldn't fit all my, my stuff, all my notes on here. So uh, I, I want to get this understanding. So we had, I was talking about this place of Shoal and the place of Hades being the place of rest for all souls. The place where uh, whether you are, uh, whether you're good, whether you're evil, this is the place of rest. It's the place where people would go. Uh, now, what we see in Scripture uh, is there was something that happened at the resurrection of Jesus. Something happened when Jesus resurrected from the dead. Something happened when he went down and he took the, the, the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Something happened in those three days where Jesus was, was there from being buried in the tomb and, and resurrecting from the dead. That, that there was something that took place in this place of Hades, this place of Shoal, this resting place. There was a division that happened. It became something that where before we see scripture talking about how whether you were good or you were, whether you were evil, there was a resting place that you would be in. It was this place where it was simply uh, the resting place of, of those who had gone on, gone on from this life that they rested uh, outside of just those, those men like Eli um, or like uh, who walked with God, not Eli. Well, Enoch, thank you, Enoch and Elijah. So Enoch and Elijah, I was mixing their names together. Uh, Enoch and Elijah, they were, uh, both of them, you know, they were able to go and be in heaven. But everything else, as we see in the Old Testament, and everything even in the parables of Jesus, we see that the re- we see this resting place of both the good and the evil where they would go. And it was this place of Shoal or this place of Hades. But when Jesus took the keys of death, hell, and the grave in those three days. And he, uh, there was something that happened in that time where no longer do the righteous who are dead go to a place of resting, of separation from God. But now we see in Scripture where it says that he who has, who has uh, gone on from this life is now present with the Lord. You're present with God. That there is a, 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 now a judgment that takes place at the time of death for the righteous. We see really four judgments. I don't have time to get into all these right now, but we see four different judgments that take place. And one of these is, uh, one is the judgment of, of the righteous. You have another that is the judgment of the, the, uh, of the God's people, of the Jews that will take place. You'll have another judgment that is the judgment of the nations. During the time of, uh, of the great tribulation, uh, you know, the judgment of the nations, the ones who are, uh, who align themselves with the Jews, you see a judgment there, and then you have the, the great white throne judgment. Uh, but the judgment of the righteous is one where it's, you are judged. If you are righteous, you die, and you are righteous. And you're judged at that moment. And you get your eternal reward. You receive your eternal reward at the time of death. There will also be a day when God's going to come back for his people. And there will be that day, that, that righteous judgment, the judgment of the righteous during that time. When God will rapture his people who are still alive and they remain uh, faithful to him. And that's a judgment. Now, you say judgment. Well, how was that judgment? Um, 
Don't think of it as judgment as in meeting out punishment or handing out punishment, but rather he's handing out reward. It's a judgment of reward. God is giving you your reward. Uh, we see this, uh, we see this, uh, you know, during the time when this was, when they're writing this New Testament, they had the Olympic Games that took place. And, uh, you had the Roman Colosseum that was, that was there in Rome and, and you had all these competitors and, and one thing that would happen at the end of this is you had, uh, the, the, the competitors and the ones who had, had won their, uh, won their events and, and everything that they were competing in. That they would, they would come up and there was a judgment seat that was there and it was the place, it was the Bema. It was this, uh, uh, it was this, this, uh, platform where they had the, the man who was, who was the judge of the competition and he would hand out the rewards to the winners of the competition. And it was a judgment to them and, and it was, they would come up to that place of the Bema, uh, uh, the place of the seat and they would receive their, their eternal reward. Not, not their eternal reward. They would receive their reward. But for us, we will receive an eternal reward. And in that day, uh, if, if you look at that uh, competition like that, uh, the ones who did not win, the ones that did not receive the reward, they were not punished for not doing it. It was simply that the ones that had won were rewarded. That's the judgment of the righteous. That's the judgment for them. The judgment of the uh, unrighteous will come at the day of the great white throne judgment. That is, that is when, uh, when it will be uh, a judgment for just those who have, uh, who have died, for all the unrighteous who are in the grave. And there will be a day when uh, the great white throne judgment will take place. And uh, it's in that day, it's following that great white throne judgment on that judgment day, that hell will be cast into the lake of fire. So we've been talking about hell itself as being this place of holding. And so you have what was before the resurrection of Jesus, a place of holding for all mankind. After the resurrection of Jesus, only hell being only the holding place for the wicked, for the ones who... Uh, had not been redeemed, you have that, is now uh, going to come and there's going to be the great white throne judgment. And after the great white throne judgment, hell will be cast into the lake of fire. And we see this take place in Revelation 20, verse 11. This is also the time in which, uh, the time in which Satan and, and all of his uh, fallen angels, when, where they will uh, be cast into the lake of fire as well. This is really where we start off here in this. It says, that I saw a great white throne, and he that sat on it, in whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. This is the great white throne judgment. This is the righteous have already received their judgment. They've already received their reward. But now we have the great white throne judgment where the book of life is opened and every man is judged for, um, uh, for his works. It says, the sea gave up the dead which were in it. The death and hell were delivered. They delivered up the dead which were in them and they were judged every man according to the works. And then death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. 
And so this is an eternal um, judgment, an eternal death. It's not just a place of waiting. It's not just that place of hell where you are, where you're in that wait time of waiting. But now it's been cast into the lake of fire. And along with that, if, we went, if I would have backed up a couple of verses, uh, we would have seen that the devil and um, and his angels were also included in this place of hell. It's being cast into the lake of fire. Now I want to. We're coming. Got to come to a close here quickly. And we're going to get to heaven. I, the title of our, our study tonight is Heaven and Hell. And I'm just hardly, hardly touched on heaven. We're going to get there. Not tonight, though. But how can a good God send people to hell? How can a good God send people to hell? Uh, I've heard people ask that as if they're the first ones to think of this conundrum. Somebody like, man, we're going to like dismantle all of Christianity because they talk about this good God. And yet there's a good God who would send people to hell. That cannot, that cannot equate, it cannot be real that God would send people to hell. And yet we see through Scripture the clarity that comes through Scripture about the existence of hell and the fact that God will send that there will be people who will go to hell. In fact, that question, as I say, it's been posed you know, to me at times and as if it's a new question. But that is not a new question at all. Because in fact, that was the very first question that was ever asked. Maybe not exactly that. But the very first question that was ever asked was a question from Satan to Eve where he said, does God not want you to have this very thing? Does not, is God keeping you away from, from this one thing right here that could open up your eyes and it could give you everything? He, he asked her this question about really the, un, the undertone of this question that he's asking is, is God a good God? Is God a just God? Is God holding something back from you? Is, is God, is He keeping you from something that is good? And God, in fact, He is lying to you. That's really the question that Satan was posing to Eve. He's saying God is lying to you. He's keeping something from you. If you would just eat of this fruit, you would see your eyes will be open. You will be like God. He's questioning God. He is asking God, or he is asking Eve uh, to, to question the goodness of God. And he's saying, if you would just eat of this, then you will see that God, he is not truly, or he is not being fully truthful with you. This is a very early question that, that was posed, the very first question that was posed to mankind. And the same question about the truthfulness of God or the goodness of God is still being asked today. You know, is God really good if he would send people to hell? And here's the truth of it, that God 
has given men free will. And it's not that God sends people to hell, but through free will, God allows people, a fallen person who has been separated from him, he allows him grace and he extends mercy to him. He gives him opportunity after opportunity to come to him. He extends mercy over and over and over and over and over. And God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would have, all that would come to Him and have everlasting life. God's will is that nobody would go to hell. That is God's will. That is God's desire. That's what God wants. God wants everyone to come into that place of eternal rest with Him. God wants everyone to, there's, there's room enough for everyone in heaven. There's, there's not, there's not a limit to the doors of heaven. God says, I want everyone who has ever been created, every soul that I've ever breathed life into, I want them to walk through those pearly gates and to be reunited with me. That is God's will. But God said, it's your will. It's your will. I came across this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, I would pay any price. To be able to say truthfully that all will be saved. But my reason retorts, without their will or with it. If I say without their will, I at once perceive a contradiction. How can the supreme voluntary act of self-surrender be involuntary? If I say, well, it's with their will, then my reason replies, how if they will not give in? God's not going to go against your will. And God has made us, made us humans to have free will. And if it's God's, uh, if, if God is a just God, which means that God is a righteous judge, then there must be consequence or there must be uh, penalty for those who would be in sin. For God and sin do not equate. And Really what it all comes down to is accepting the fact that there is one who does sit on the throne. And it's not me. I'm thankful it's not me. It's God. And God is much more merciful than I am. But God is also a just God. And He is a patient God. But he is also a God that one day there will be a, a, there will be that door that is shut and there will be a judgment that takes place and there is an eternal destination that's waiting. But here's the reality of it all is that when we understand that there is a hell, when we understand that everyone has an eternal destination, when we understand that it doesn't matter your age it doesn't matter if you are 80 years old or if you're 18 years old. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you were raised in church or if you weren't. Everybody has an eternal destination. I didn't even get into all of these, these things I could have tonight about about place of purgatory, 
all these other concepts about the resting place. Uh, it wasn't until Tertullian uh, that really much, much of this stuff started coming out. If you understand any of the early church, uh, early church leaders, not not the ones in the Bible, but after the Bible, Tertullian was about three hundred years after the Bible, and he brought in all these false concepts about God. One of these, um, whether he came up with it or not, but he was the one that really we see first in his writings about this place of purgatory, which was a resting place for souls. And eventually what they, the Catholic Church began to do was to put more and more people in purgatory and keep them out of heaven. The only way to get into heaven was to either be a saint, and which was a very select few people of people who they would call saints, or you had to pay penance. You had to give the Catholic Church money in order to get out of purgatory and into heaven. All of that is false, false doctrine. But when we understand there's only two destinations, heaven and hell, you understand that it ought to be something that burns within you to say, my neighbor next to me has an eternal destination. My coworker has an eternal destination. My son, my daughter has an eternal destination. I have an eternal destination. My parents have an eternal destination. The person who's across Across the, the county from me, they, they have an eternal destination. The one who is there in, in, in California, he has an eternal destination. The one who I can, who I can get in contact with on the internet, and, but he lives over in Japan or in China. They have an eternal destination. Every one of them has an eternal destination. And Paul, he began to realize this, and that's why he said in, in Acts chapter 20 verse 31, it says, therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. This is what drove Paul on his missionary journeys. This is what drove him. This understanding that there was an eternal destination. That there is an eternity to account for. He says, I cease not to warn everyone night and day. I cried about it. I prayed about it. I did everything that I could to make sure that everybody knew about the saving message of Jesus Christ. That Jesus had come to save them from their sins. It drove me to get, it drove me. I didn't care that I had 500 some stripes upon my back because I'd been beaten. I don't care about the fact that I've been shipwrecked so many times. Yeah, I was driven by the fact that there is an eternity to account for. And I want everybody to know about it. That is what drove Paul. And let's just stand here in this place tonight. There's a heaven to account for as well, and we're going to get to it. Amen. But I want us tonight to have this in view that there is an eternity. I don't, the reason I, I dove into some of this tonight in the fashion that I did is because there are false concepts, there are false ideas out there in this world about hell. And about heaven. And I want us to have an understanding straight from the Bible about heaven and hell. And, and to understand that these places, they're real. These places are real. And let's keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Let's just lift up our hands in this place. And I